Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. It's been a crazy, wild, busy week here in Seattle. So what better way to cap it off than with some Seattle Sports Saturday here on 710 ESPN Seattle. He's Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. And and Taylor, the foundation for what the Seahawks are going to be in 2021, we're going to know a lot about it in the next, I would say, couple of days, maybe the next week or so as they try to hammer out everything, hammer out the fallout from their wild card loss last Saturday, a week removed from that. Uh, But right now, I mean, Plenty of questions in the air surrounding this ball club. Where do they go? What do they do? Uh, it's it's an uneasy feeling, especially after such a successful regular season, winning 12 games. It's kind of hard to figure out where this team is, knowing what we know to be their ceiling. Yeah, it is such a weird place. We're talking about a 12-win team, right, Curtis? Why, why would we be talking about these major overhauls when you're so close um, but look, the offensive coordinator is gone. You're going to have some schemes that are changing. Pete Carroll's role, you know, we, we, we're going to hear from him a little bit later on, you know, his role in the offense, even this season and how he was sort of looking over certain shoulders and, and arguing with plays and what that may have done to this Seahawks team. So will there be some clarity of who they're going to hire in the next days? Maybe I I agree with you, Curtis. I don't think it's going past weeks here, Um, but there's a lot of things on the table for a 12 win team with the franchise quarterback locked up a lot of defensive stars there. You got a bright up and coming star in DK Metcalf. Um, This is both a great position to be in because this is what you want your team to do, right? You want them to be pushing 12 wins and no Super Bowl. It's not enough, right? Push to that and to that true ceiling. But also you're talking about a 12 win team that's going through some major shakeups that usually don't happen to teams that win this many games. No, they don't. And, and, Teams that win this many games normally don't see their playoff lives get extinguished in the first round, but that's exactly what happened. And I think because of that, that kind of put the pedal to the metal, as it were, in terms of these changes that I think had the Seahawks had much more postseason success this year, if they had gone to at least the NFC Championship game, I don't think Brian Schottenheimer would have been out of a job. I don't think that would have happened. I think they would have ran it back again next year, but here we are. And as we know, everything gets magnified. Everything gets gets amplified in the postseason. And a loss like that, as much as Pete Carroll and, and Russell Wilson will try to downplay uh, you know, and say, you know, we treat each game as though it's a championship opportunity, maybe sometimes – you should start treating playoff games as more than just you know another game on your schedule because it's been what five years of of first or second round exits for the Seahawks. They haven't reached the NFC Championship game since that 2014 season. They've only won one playoff game since I believe it was 2016, and and that was uh, the Eagles game in 2019. So it's just it's tough to see the Seahawks right now knowing how good they can be but have fallen short of expectations year in and year out. And hopefully these moves, and you know we're going to get into it later today here on Seattle Sports Saturday, uh, some of the names that have already been in contact with the Seahawks. And there's been two pretty big ones, uh, two well-known names throughout 
the NFL circle uh, that have been in contact with the Seahawks about that offensive coordinator position. But, yeah, we are with you for the next two hours here on 710 ESPN Seattle until 1 o'clock. Uh, this is Seattle Sports Saturday. You can join in on the conversation. Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line 710-710. Lots and lots to get to on this Saturday. So let's dive in a divisional round edition of the Big Three. Number one. Well, let's get it out of the way. Let's put the bow on it. Let's bury it. Let's get it out because the Seahawks season officially over. Unfortunately, a week ago today, we saw that uh, jagged little pill show up and we had to swallow it as the Rams take down the Seahawks 30-20. to 20. A confusing game, especially with Russell Wilson's offensive performance and the entire offense really just struggling to get points on the board. And then on the flip side, Cam Akers having a career day for the LA Rams. Really surprising to see both things occur and both things occur against the Seahawks playoff team. Russell Wilson going 11 for 27 for 174, two TDs to DK Metcalf, but one of the ugliest interceptions we've ever seen. It uh, it didn't sit well with a lot of people here in Seattle. Chris Carson rushing for 77 yards in what could be his final Seahawks game as he hits free agency this offseason what will he command what will this offense even look like well there were some big decisions that happened later in the week which leads to number two in this week number two well with that stunning loss in the first round comes many franchise shifting decisions the first one came on tuesday morning with john schneider receiving an extension through the 2027 NFL draft. Rumors had been circulating about Detroit's interest in Schneider, but you can put those to rest for now. And later that same day, about six, seven hours after the Schneider extension was announced, and maybe it's because Pete Carroll told 710 that Brian Schottenheimer would return on Monday, the day prior, Uh, but many of us were caught off guard when we heard the news of the dismissal of Brian Schottenheimer as Seattle's offensive coordinator less than 24 hours later. In three seasons with Seattle, their offense never ranked lower than 14th, but saw a significant drop-off in production in the 2020 season's second half. So who will Pete Carroll turn to? There have been a couple of interesting names floated out there, especially one earlier this morning by NFL Network's Tom Pelissero, that would be former Eagles coach Doug Peterson. We'll talk about... Uh, who could potentially be in line for this job all throughout today. Uh, Pete Carroll's been adamant about his desire to run the ball more next season, but how will that sit with franchise quarterback Russell Wilson? We'll discuss further at 11-15. Number three. Well, the hot stove is simmering in Major League Baseball now as we finally get some Mariners moves and uh, some positive moves as the Mariners again signing all three players to avoid arbitration. So, again, Jerry DePoto continues under his Mariners uh, years to avoid arbitration on all eligible players, but this year three players in, spe- in uh, specifically, rather, uh, J.P. Crawford, Tom Murphy, and relief pitcher Rafael Montero, who the Mariners acquired in a trade with the Rangers on December 15th. So he'll get a nice little pay bump up to $2.5 million. J.P. Crawford and Tom Murphy getting their deals done as well. So nice to see some Mariners moves getting done right now. Still free agency starting to get going. Still a lot of players out there. Will they get some some familiar names back in the building? We know Taiwan Walker has been tweeting 
Uh, he's waiting for the call from Jerry Depoto and that he's been uh, changing his profile pictures to be different colors of potential teams. So it was Mariners blue at one point. So will it return to that color for Taiwan Walker and some other players? Again, hot stove heating up. We got baseball to talk about. We go straight from football into baseball, Curtis. I know you love that. Oh, absolutely do. Yeah, we're less than um, – we're about a month and a half away from from baseball Pitchers getting catchers, played, right? at least. Yeah, spring training. Or at least that's what they tell us. That's what Major League Baseball yeah. tells us. Who knows? There's still a lot <laughs> up in the air in terms right. of the scheduling for this upcoming season. But on a normal calendar, you can expect pitchers and catchers at some point in February. Hopefully Major League Baseball uh, has the the means and the wherewithal to put together as close to a normal season as uh, we can expect from them. Uh, that is this hour's big three. Uh, some honorable mentions, uh, news late yesterday, sort of a Friday news dump that the NFL tends to do in the afternoon, but Seahawks receiver Josh Gordon had his reinstatement rescinded by the league, and he has now been suspended indefinitely again by the NFL. This is the eighth separate suspension that Gordon has had in his NFL career. He's only 29 years old. Uh, but you kind of wonder if this might be the end of the road for Gordon in the NFL. Uh, the Seahawks gave him just about every opportunity to stick with their roster, and it looked like he was going to join them uh, for the season's final two games of the regular season and, and also play into the playoffs. But obviously that didn't happen. And, and now Gordon finds himself at another crossroads in his career. And, you know, you just got to hope that, you know, whatever it is that is keeping him away from football, that it doesn't keep him from having a a normal, regular life, that it doesn't, you know, grab a hold of him and, and doesn't let go. Um, you just kind of hope he's able to, to you know, succeed in, in other areas because right now football uh, doesn't look like he's going to be given those opportunities anytime soon. Yeah, no, I think he hit it right on the head there, Curtis, that you wish the best for this guy. You know, unfortunately, the person he's harming a lot of these times is just himself, and it's one of the most unfortunate things. So you hope, yeah, like you said, Curtis, that whatever it is he wants to do in his post-football life, that this doesn't get in the way of that, and he can accomplish some of those things that, you know, he wants to live the rest of his life doing. So... We hope that for him, and uh, you know it's unfortunate he couldn't he couldn't finish it out here in Seattle with a couple of good games and a couple of good uh, moments for his football career. But uh, you know we hope the best for Josh Gordon, the person. Absolutely. Uh, some other news with the Seahawks: uh, a shakeup a little bit in the front office as the Carolina Panthers have hired former Seahawks vice president Scott Fitterer as their new general manager. Fitterer and Trent Kirchner, two of uh, John Schneider's right hand right hand men, they have been interviewing for GM jobs for it seems like about a decade now. Fitterer finally getting that opportunity in Carolina. Uh, wish him nothing but the best over with the Panthers, and then. Uh, WNBA free agency opening today, supered an unrestricted free agent. Taylor, I don't ever want to think about a world where Sue Bird is wearing any other colors besides that storm green and gold. Uh, it, it would it would not sit right with me if she was wearing any other jersey. I don't know what the max is. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm a, a WNBA cap expert. Whatever that number is, give it to her. Whatever it is. I don't <laughs> care how old she is. 
her impact in this community on the sport of women's basketball, I don't think it even can be measured right now. And it won't be measured, I don't think, for years to come just because there are so many kids and so many young women who have looked up to Sue Bird growing up here or growing up in this country or just basketball fans around the world because it, it truly is a global game. And what a great ambassador for the game of women's basketball and the game of basketball you couldn't ask for anyone better than Sue Bird and to have her be here in Seattle. I look forward one day to taking kids to see a Sue Bird statue in front of whatever the arena will be called in downtown Seattle. So one day there'll be a nice bronze uh, dedication to her and her legacy here because she deserves it. So whatever it costs, keep her because I I can't, I can't live in that world, Curtis. I actually, I refuse to live in that world. Like that, yeah. Cut the check, Storm. Cut the check. Yeah. Uh, but coming up in this hour, Taylor and I, we're going to take a look at what some of the early offensive coordinator candidates might tell us about the direction of Seattle's offense. But before we do that, we're going to take a look at why this coordinator hire feels a little different than the other ones that Pete Carroll has made in his Seahawks tenure. That's next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into Seattle Sports Saturday. Normally we're we're looking forward to uh, a Seahawks game coming up, but obviously that is not going to be the case. They were eliminated last weekend and a a week of change within that organization. Uh, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Brian Schottenheimer, he was let go, and, and now we're kind of wondering who is that next person that will be in charge of the offense. And Taylor, I don't know about you, but this one, of the other changes that Seattle has made at offensive coordinator, this one seems to be different, and I think it's because of the urgency needed with the Seahawks window right now because Russell Wilson will be 33 next November. Uh, You've got also other guy, you know, the running back situation very up much up in the air right now with Chris Carson being an unrestricted free agent. And you kind of wonder, you know, is this Pete Carroll's last contract with the Seahawks? It kind of points to that being the case. So what about this hire? do you think sets it apart from the one we saw when Daryl Bevel was let go and they brought in shoddy or when Jeremy Bates was let go and they brought in Daryl Bevel? Cause it ne- it never really felt like there was this much at stake. Yeah. And it just feels like the uh, action green lining, if you will, of the, the losing of last week is, they had to make these tough decisions this week, right? They ha- If they had won that game like you talked about, Curtis, are we talking about Schottenheimer here for another year? Are you talking about another year where it's half a season of success and half a season of sort of wandering around the desert looking for answers, right? That this may be such a blessing in disguise for the Seahawks team because of the timing. You're right. Russell's aging, Bobby and KJ, right? They're starting to get up there in age too. You got Jamal Adams. He's young. He's one of those young pieces, but he's been banged up. Dwayne Brown, an older piece. He's been a stud in this league for a long time. So 
the window is there. You have the talent. There's no doubt about it. To win 12 games in the NFL right now is very difficult. So they have the pieces to do it. And then, Curtis, you mentioned Pete Carroll being here and this maybe being his last contract with the Seahawks. And it got me thinking, honestly, just now in this segment. Could this next OC become the next head coach after Pete Carroll leaves? Very possible. And, and in which case, it becomes even bigger for you to think about the future of this organization and what you want it to look like, not just next season, but five years from now, right? And what you want this team to be in that moment. So this is a big hire, maybe one of the biggest coaching hires in the Seahawks history, if you think about it, on the importance, not only in the short term, but the importance in the long term for this organization as well. Absolutely. And you speak of the short term with the Seahawks. What about a guy like DK Metcalf? You know, is he going to want to continue to play for an organization that is going to run the ball more than they pass it? And that year, this, this past year was not the case as the Seahawks set, you know, plenty of franchise records for receiving with Metcalf and yardage, lock it with receptions. But DK, his contract is coming up. You know, he's on a rookie deal right now, and obviously any sort of production he has is going to far exceed what he's getting paid. He is he is paying off the Seahawks investment in him tenfold. But all of a sudden he's gonna want to get paid for his production. And top flight receivers in this league, they are not cheap. They are not uh they are not easy investments to make in the NFL and that's why you see a lot of top flight receivers kind of bounce from team to team as like yeah it'd be great to have a guy like Odell Beckham or or a guy who you know who, who has that kind of production but uh, the money that you pay those guys is like well you know is it good to pay a receiver this much money but you kind of wonder, is DK Metcalf going to be okay with whoever it is that they decide uh, at offensive coordinator? Just as Russell Wilson, who just signed that massive extension, you know, is he going to be okay with, with whoever it is that comes here to Seattle as the offensive coordinator? And cut number one, Russell Wilson, in his end-of-the-season press conference this week, talked about the importance of being on the same page as Pete and Schneider. You know, I, I think that um, it's really important that, you know, uh, me and Pete and, and – uh, you know, me and Coach Carroll and John they were all on the same page and trying to find that right person for us. And uh, me and Coach definitely have talked a lot about it, and I think that it seems like we're on the same wavelength of trying to find that right person for us that can do it all and allow us to be up-tempo, allow us to be able to run it, allow us to be able to throw it down the field, mix it up, throw it in between, uh, really challenge the defense in every facet of the game. And, I, you know, one thing about me is I want to be able to do it all, right? So I want to be able to make sure that our offense can do it all and does it, and does it all. Um, and it does it all extremely, extremely well. Taylor, you you hear Russ say all that uh, about being on the same page with with Pete and John, and and just how important this decision is going to be for him and for this organization. How involved do you want Russ to be in this decision process? I want him as involved as all-star players are involved in these decisions that when you go league to league not just in football that the players who truly define an organization in football basketball soccer you can go around the world and and pick out people who define their organizations unfortunately they play by different rules and that's not necessarily fair that but 
that's sort of the world we live in, and QBs are set up to live in that world more so than any other position group. So to me, let him be involved. Let him have a say at the table, but not the final say. That's what I'm going to – he is not the person who makes that decision. That's not what he gets paid to do. And to be honest, he might be biased in some of the final decisions, but the process in which they get there, he should definitely be a part of. Because I think him being there will bring out some truths that will reveal themselves to Jody Allen and some of the people who do make this decision uh, going forward and what will, it will do to this franchise's future. Yeah, and it felt as though this decision to remove Brian Schottenheimer from the offensive coordinator rule or role was, I, I mean, Russ seemed surprised by it, but mm-hmm. he was obvious he was on board with it based off of the comments that he made in his end of the season press conference. But I wonder if you know surprising somebody like Russell Wilson is the best thing to do, especially when he is the most valuable asset you have. And it's not even close. I mean, franchise quarterbacks like him hardly ever come around to, to franchises. Uh, and so you have, you have to maximize the windows that you get with, with players like him. And so that is probably the one thing of utmost importance with this hire is that, you have to maximize Seattle's opportunity for a championship in Russell Wilson's, I don't know if he's reached the second half of his career yet, but he's getting to the second half of his career. And as we've seen so often, it is very hard to to win titles when you are nearing the final years of your career. And I don't think Russ is anywhere near the, the final, final years of his career, but he's I don't know if he's reached the peak, but he's the, the roller coaster's starting to uh, you know gain some momentum going down, and I, I just I wonder if that level of urgency is being felt with Pete Carroll and with John Schneider. Yeah, I mean, it, look, I think the answer has to be yes, right? Or else they wouldn't have made this move. Or look, we don't know how this move was made. It could have been mutual. It could have been one one side or the other telling them the other side to sort of kick rocks. But it just feels like this is where, you're right, This that, that pivot happens to where Russell isn't growing. He's maintaining this sort of level, right? That he's learned a lot and he's grown a lot in this league, but this is where he... Again, plateau isn't necessarily the the right word to use, but he reaches that sort of skill plateau where he's no longer taking these big steps forward. That has to happen with the people around him, right? They're surrounding him with talent. They're surrounding him with coaches. They're surrounding him with these these thought um, provokers and things like that. So it's this is a huge, huge moment in this franchise's history. And again, to, to to do it now with some good years left in Russell Wilson's future will end up being a benefit for this team down the road because to be able to stop and think about it and to readjust may set them up for future success and a, a prolonged success in the NFL. You certainly hope so. You certainly hope so. And with right. a couple of candidates that have been floated out there over the last couple of days, may kind of give us a glimpse as to what kind of direction Seattle wants to go on the offensive side of the ball. Let's take a look at some of those next here on Seattle Sports Saturday.
Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in about a half hour, we give you our big three from a national perspective. A huge trade in the NBA, a national championship game, plenty to get to in about a half hour. Also, we're going to take a look at what John Schneider's extension means for the Seahawks' future. Something that big kind of snuck by everybody this week, it feels like, because there was just so much going on in the aftermath of the Seahawks' wildcard round loss to the L.A. Rams last weekend. So we'll get into Schneider's extension, what that means for the Seahawks going forward in about 15 minutes. But, Taylor, this morning we got word from NFL Network that Doug Peterson, former Eagles head coach, Super Bowl winning head coach, has Pride contacted- of Ferndale. That's true. Pride of Ferndale grew up, I believe, in Bellingham. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he is about as local as it gets. Uh, he has been in contact with the Seahawks regarding their offensive coordinator job. In addition to former Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn having been in contact, we found that out on Friday. Taylor, when you look at the history of offensive coordinators under Pete Carroll at the pro level, not talking collegiate level, which it's kind of weird because his collegiate offensive coordinators, they went on to have a lot of success. You had Norm Chow. Uh, he coached at Hawaii. He went on to the NFL. You had Sark, Lane Kiffin, all those guys. But in the pros, you've had Jeremy Bates, Daryl Bevel, and also most recently Brian Schottenheimer. None of those guys have gone on to be an official head coach. Daryl Bevel was an interim with Detroit this year, but uh, it doesn't look like he'll be moving forward as their head coach anytime soon. But what do you think it is about the Seahawks targeting so far two former head coaches in the NFL to potentially lead this offense? I think they're looking for couple things, right? I think the first thing that they're looking for is that stability, right? And with head coaches, you get that stability where they've run offense, defense, special teams. They've, you know, they've been working with scouts as far as the draft process and all of that that it takes to be a head coach in the NFL. It's a lot. It's 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 probably too much for most people and most even head coaches that have the job, it's probably too much for them to handle all by themselves. But to me, this signals they're looking for someone who just gets the process of the entire team, right? They don't necessarily work with the entire team, but they get what goes into the defense. They get what goes into the scouting. They know the roles that all these people play in the organization. I think that's one of the things that they're looking for with these rumored names in the process, right? There's some others, and we'll talk about in a second, but with these specifically, these old head coaches, the retread, if you will, I don't know if I would quite use that term, but it it feels like they want someone with that stability in their background and in their coaching sort of philosophy. What do you think uh, is the reason why these two head coaches sort of jumped out so far? I think with Anthony Lynn, it it's probably because his expertise has been in the run game throughout his NFL career. He was a former running backs coach, uh, and and San Diego or San Diego slash LA when he was with both those organizations. Uh, he, you know, their run game was was pretty good while he was there. They had Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler. Those two guys are are very good running backs in the NFL. 
And I think if you bring in Anthony Lynn, it is a a signal that you want to restore the running game to where it was a couple of seasons ago in 2018 when they led the NFL in rushing and uh, maybe to those years where, where Marshawn Lynch was leading the way here in Seattle. I think that would that's how that would uh, come across. In fact, Eric Williams of Sports Illustrated, who has covered the Chargers for a lot of years in cut number five, talked about getting the running game going would be Anthony Lynn's specialty. But I think in terms of getting the running game back to what it was when the Seahawks were we're going to Super Bowls. That's kind of his specialty. Um, he knows a lot of different ways in terms of diversity in the running game, knows how to teach it, knows how to coach it. Um, so I think that would be one of the reasons Pete would be interested. And Pete, you know, would be able to have a good idea of Anthony Lynn as a coach because he still has a good relationship with Gus and I'm sure has talked to Gus about that. Yeah, an interesting point there brought up by Eric Williams, his history with Gus Bradley, who was the Chargers defensive coordinator while Anthony Lynn was their head coach. So there is a a mutual connection there between the two guys. Uh, Taylor, when you look at these two former head coaches and, and kind of what they bring to the table, of the two, which one do you think would be a better fit in Seattle? Would it be Anthony Lynn, who kind of favors the the run game, or, or Doug Peterson, who we saw Philadelphia early on in his tenure have success through the air with uh, young Carson Wentz, but the quarterback you know, became a, a big question mark, and they were able to get it going on the ground game throughout his tenure with like Miles Sanders, Garrett Blunt, other guys like that. Which one of these two do you think would be of of bigger interest to the Seahawks? I think it's got to be Lynn, right? If you're listening to what Pete Carroll's been saying and what this philosophy he is trying to instill in this organization and has been, it's about running the ball and getting the run game to open it up for Russell Wilson and the passing game. And Anthony Lynn, I think, is the coach of the two better suited to do that for this organization and I think better suited to take the orders coming from Pete Carroll and the top about what to do and that he wouldn't necessarily be as vocal about his opinion as Doug Peterson. We've heard about him pushing back with the front office there in Philly this past season and what that meant to his sort of demise there. But I don't want to say Anthony Lynn is a yes man. That's not no one who comes to Seattle is like that. I don't think Pete, works well with those type of people. I think he wants to be challenged in in his job as well. So I think Anthony Lynn is the better of the two fit-wise for the Seahawks between Peterson and Lynn. What about you? I like that you brought up Doug Peterson and kind of what was the undoing of his time in Philadelphia, him kind of pushing back against directives coming from uh, GM Howie Roseman and owner Jeffrey Lurie in Philadelphia, especially in that Week 17 game where everybody's like, why is Nate Sudfeld in this game when we know Jalen Hurts is the future of this organization? Um, In cut number four here, Pete Carroll explains the fourth down decision in the Rams game, and he does this because – this kind of points to maybe Pete getting you know too many stoves burning on on his oven or too many pots burning on his stove, I should say. Uh, don't really know where I was going with that comparison, but it it kind of gives a little bit of detail as to the style of coaching that Pete Carroll is. What has been part of the you know our our makeup has been a lot of sacks, 
you know, and, and we haven't been able to keep rust as clean as we'd like to, and that's that's been a problem for us over the years, and, and that causes other issues, and, and uh, it also causes problems for the opponent too, because once Russ starts moving around, like he almost, you know, knocked him dead today, just missed uh, DK on the one other scramble, um, but he was really effective when he got out and moved around, but um, it, but it does cause a problem. We do get sacked a lot, and that's that's something that's reoccurred. I think I, I mislabeled the cut there, but uh, the fourth down decision, though, in that Rams game where Shoddy and Pete were kind of jockeying as to who was going to get the call in, Pete was trying to override Shoddy, it, it definitely speaks to Pete having, you know, a, a, a sort of a micromanaging way of coaching. And Doug Peterson... That's why he ultimately fell out of favor with the Eagles is because he was tired of being told what to do from upper management. Pete is about as upper management as it gets with the Seahawks. In fact, he's John Schneider's boss at the end of the day. I wonder how Peterson would handle being an OC for Pete, especially with Peterson having as much background offensively. He was a quarterback in the NFL for a long time. Uh, He's had success as a head coach. I, I don't know if it would be as good of a fit as Anthony Lynn would be. Yeah, and to be honest with you, Curtis, I think that's going to be the hang-up for both of these guys. I, I think neither of them will end up being the offensive coordinator this year. That To be so closely removed from the head coaching role and having all those things, but then coming in here and having to take that smaller role – I think it'll be difficult for a guy like Peterson and even Lynn. I think it'll be difficult for him to take something like that. And to be honest with you, Curtis, I love that. I, I prefer that over what is going to happen. I don't think Lynn or Peterson would be the the right move for the long term of this organization. To me, a guy like Mike McDaniel and Sky Sports did a fantastic write-up about him and what he's done there in San Francisco, but... What he's been able to do with the run game in San Francisco and the scheme and having all of the injuries to quarterback and to the running backs and to linemen and to receivers and to still be able to produce with a guy named Jamichael Hasty, not James Hasty. I'm talking about Jamichael Hasty or J.R. Hasty, even for that matter. He was able to take that guy and turn him into a legit threat in the running game for the 49ers. So if they can get someone like that in here, young, a a scheme oriented guy to try and get that run game to open it up for, for Russell, he would be okay with Pete having something to say over him. This is his first time being a full OC. He would still get the call plays. It just feels like a lot of those things that you want to see happen would happen with a higher, like Mike McDaniel versus an Anthony Lynn or a Doug Peterson. Yeah, and and I think with also this hire, I don't think the Seahawks are going to wait around for a coach that is still coaching in the playoffs because with that means you can't make the hire official until after the Super Bowl or after that team gets eliminated. And let's say, I know Jay Keeps talked this week a lot about Nathaniel Hackett, the Packers offensive coordinator, uh, Pete, uh, I think Pete Carmichael, the New Orleans offensive coordinator, those two guys, those are two teams that have Super Bowl aspirations in mind. I don't think the Seahawks want to wait around for those guys. I think they may make this hire you know, within the next week or so because of just 
how important it is to get this guy in here as soon as possible uh, to get on the same page, at least initially with Pete, and to kind of establish what it is that they want to do here going forward. Yeah, it's going to because again, it's going to be a weird off season. You still have COVID restrictions. We don't know what draft day will look like. We don't know what pro days will look like. A lot of those things are still up in the air. So get as much as you can now solidified in place, moving, so that when you get to some of these hurdles that are going to come up in the next few months, you can overcome them knowing that you have everything behind you in place and you're ready to go because there's going to be difficult situations. Look, some of these uh, draft prospects have played six, seven games. Some have played 12 games. Some have played a few less. Some have played four games. Like, there is such a discrepancy in the, this upcoming draft on who's done what. It's going to take a lot of that solid thinking to get you through some of these difficult times. And you have that here in Seattle. You just need to get all of the other little places pieces in place. Vizyard Seltzer text line is there for you, 710-710. Who would you prefer of the two, Anthony Lynn or Doug Peterson as Seattle's offensive coordinator? Coming up next, somebody that's going to have a big say in who is calling the plays for the Seahawks, John Schneider. He received a contract extension this week. What does that mean for the Seahawks organization going forward? That's next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. It is a divisional round Saturday, divisional round Sunday. We will get you a preview of this weekend's action coming up in the noon hour here on Seattle Sports Saturday. By the way, if you miss any portion of today, you can always download the podcast, 710sports.com. You can also subscribe on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, wherever it is you get those podcasts. Taylor Jacobs, I'm Curtis Rogers. So much to get to still in this one, but this week, the news that became, I guess, buried because of what happened with Brian Schottenheimer getting his dismissal from Seattle's offensive coordinator position, but on Tuesday morning, we got the news that John Schneider would be re-upping with the Seahawks through the 2027 draft. What makes this interesting is his contract extension is longer than Pete Carroll's. Normally, they had kind of been doing it side-by-side every single step of the way, but Schneider inking on for a couple more seasons than Pete. Uh, But Taylor, Schneider back in the fold. you got to put those Detroit Lions rumors to rest, as Schneider kind of did when asked about those a couple weeks ago. But... How would you grade the job Schneider did this season in sort of filling out the roster, A, under the circumstances of COVID because there was a lot of craziness, and then B, just kind of how they were able to fit all these pieces together? Yeah, I think I think you got to give them a, a really solid grade, maybe B plus, A minus, somewhere in that range, just like you mentioned. The, the to overcome in this draft, right? Let's start back. Let's go a year and a little bit. They're eliminated from the playoffs. We get to the draft. COVID is really ramped up. Very different circumstances to be in. No pro days. Look back at this draft and how effective they were, not only at deals, getting picks, but who they picked and, and what impact they the, those rookies were able to have 
on this Seahawks organization. And, and then you just go forward from there. The trade for getting a guy like Jamal Adams in the building, right? And, and what it cost, yeah, it, it was a lot. Look at the impact, the sacks, the 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 spirit. You you felt that defense have that sort of swagger and that confidence. It it hadn't had since the LOB days, right? And you felt it felt different on that defensive side with Jamal. And you, then you go down and you look at some of the the pieces that they made. Jaron Reed's deal, getting him done. He was able to have a nice impactful season this year. Then you you just go through all of the things, 12, and then end of the year, 12 wins. I mean, three, four plays away from playing again this weekend, and who knows what they would have looked like in those games. So to me, I don't think you can legitimately look at the Seahawks organization and not give him a really great grade on, on what he's done. What, what would you do, Curtis? I look at obviously the draft class this year. There were a lot of play- or there were a good handful of players that outplayed their their draft position. I think Jordan Brooks uh, has definitely opened a lot of eyes, and there were so plenty of question marks surrounding him coming into the season because uh, that he wasn't on a lot of draft boards at that position. He wasn't you know projected to be a first round pick, but there were a lot of times where he played like a first-round pick. Uh, I think most specifically that goal line stand against the Rams back in Week 16 where he was in on every single tackle, just blowing up the Rams like crazy. Uh, I look at, uh, you know, in the third round, Damian Lewis started every game, was very, very impressive at times in his rookie season. There were some, you know, question marks with his pass-blocking ability, but I think with more time in the league, he can iron those out. And then I look at the fifth round, Alton Robinson, who had four sacks as a rookie, which would have led the 2019 Seahawks in sacks. Uh, He looked really good at times, and that's somebody who I hope gets more playing time in 21 just based off of the production he had in the limited amount of time that he played. But also the other moves that were made, the Jamal Adams trade will always be questioned because of the price tag that they had to give up for him. Two first-round picks, Bradley McDougal and a third-rounder. You look at the Seahawks draft class this year, they only have, I think, four picks right now, which is would be the least amount that Pete and John have ever had by a significant margin. I think they're going to do something in order to regain some of those picks, but... Uh, I think right now you would have to grade the Jamal Adams trade at at worst probably a B minus just because of how good he was when he was healthy. I think had he played a full 16 games, there's a chance that what, you know, of the four games that he missed that one of those may have turned into a W and and you know who knows where the Seahawks are at 13 and 3 rather than 12 and 4 maybe they get that first round by and, and we're talking at a, a, about a much different uh a much different season here i think Schneider's best move of the year though was to not pay Jadevian Clowney i think had Ooh. he paid him the the 13 14 million that would have really hamstrung him hamstrung the Seahawks they wouldn't have been able to to make that Adams trade and Benson Mayoa he outproduced Clowney. Uh Bruce Irvin had more sacks than Clowney and, and Irvin played like two games this year. Uh so you know Carlos I, I look Dunlap. at the, 
Yeah, exactly. Carlos Dunlap wouldn't have been able to afford him either had Clowney signed. And and Dunlap was an incredible pickup. That trade was remarkable, and it turned a bad free agent signing in B.J. Finney into a tremendous contributor by the season's end in Carlos Dunlap. Uh, you know, I think Schneider did actually pretty well, d- despite what, you know, I-, I think Brock and Salk were talking about it on their podcast this week that, you know, they kind of thought Schneider left a little bit to be desired this season. I don't know if there was much more he could have done to build out this roster. Yeah, I wouldn't put this on Schneider. I wouldn't put it on the personnel, the players. I Like you said, Curtis, to make uh, the Carlos Dunlap deal was done on the end of October, right? The 28th of October was when that deal went through. So you're talking about a mid-season deal too, right? To not sit back and say, okay, this offense is historic. Russell Wilson's playing like an MVP. Let me kick my feet up. Let me relax a little bit. He went out there and what did he do? He, he figured out how to help that pass rush, how to help that defense, make this team more balanced. So to have a guy who thinks like that constantly and to know he's going to be here for, the, uh, for, for years to come, and his relationship with Pete, they trust each other. They know what each other like in what they're looking for, what they like in their players. They're just simpatico completely. And to have that and to not worry about that as an organization is something we as Seattleites will take for granted until it's gone. Until the two of them are in separate places and they're not here both wearing Seahawks gear, we won't understand how truly special their relationship was until it's gone. Yeah, and I, I think the Seahawks doing John Schneider a solid by saying, hey, you know, you have done an incredible job here over the course of your career. We want to keep this relationship going. And uh, I think it was it was a, a really good sign that Schneider did re-up with the Seahawks because I think had he left and gone to Detroit – that may have been a bigger indictment on where the Seahawks stand as a franchise and where his confidence is in the franchise and where it's going to go had he left for the Lions rather than stayed with the Seahawks. Because, I mean, look at the Detroit Lions. I mean, they you don't know if Matt Stafford's going to continue on as their quarterback there. They don't have a head coach yet. Uh, they're just trying to pick up the pieces from Matt Patricia's disastrous tenure there. Uh, I don't know what about that job could appeal to anybody, especially somebody like Schneider who has a great thing going here uh, in comparison to the rest of the league. Obviously, we have talked a lot in this first hour about some of the warts that the Seahawks have, but if you're you know comparing franchises, you'd be foolish to take a Lions job over the Seahawks GM job if if that's you know if it's a lateral move like that. And really you look around the league, what other GMs have set their teams up like this for success for a long time? Maybe just Kansas City, to be honest with you. And even then, they might be too good for their own good that they have a lot of these contracts that's still going to keep coming up and Patrick Mahomes pay rates going to increase and it's it's going to look a lot different paybooks wise and salary cap wise for Kansas City, but I mean, other than that, it's pretty much John Schneider and the Seahawks and what they've been able to do for long term success and getting players in, keeping them in there, and having them be impactful parts of the organization. 
Coming up in the next hour, we're going to be looking at a lot of the divisional round matchups, who we think is going to move on to the championship round, as well as give you a couple of reasons why Seahawks fans may want to be watching these games closely, what kind of impact they could have on the Seahawks, even though they're not playing in the divisional round. But before we do all that, we got to get you the noon hours big three. Don't go anywhere. This is Seattle Sports Saturday.